Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to the show, episode 35 of the broadcast right here on youtube.com slash Baptist. Thank you for watching. I initially recorded this program live, and then when I went to go listen to it, there was this horrific issue with my microphone. So this is legitimately take two of the broadcast because of some really bad technical issues that I've been dealing with all night, internet, and then... The mic didn't work, so uh, kind of a rough night, I guess, in that regard. But I'm going to try doing this one more time. I believe that I got the issue fixed, and I wanted to make sure that at the very least that the archived episode of this broadcast had good enough audio because I believe the first one I did, literally, it's not even listenable. It was that bad. Uh, I do want to first begin by just thanking Pure Words Baptist Church over in Houston, Texas for having me. It was a lot of fun getting a chance to preach down there this past Sunday. And of course, a a big thank you to Pastor Shelley for the opportunity. I had a great time and I'm going to keep that church in my prayers for sure and hope that they continue to move forward strongly in getting people saved and advancing the cause of Christ. Ezekiel chapter 37 has been a chapter that I've been fascinated with for a long time. And I want to just go over the chapter here, provide an overview of what this is talking about, and also debunk some Zionist false doctrine along the way. Typically on this broadcast, I like to talk about things that are going on in terms of current events and uh, culture war and things like that. But this shows me a little bit different. It's just me and a Bible going to talk about this particular chapter, provide an overview of it. We're going to switch things up a little bit just to do things a little bit different. That way the show doesn't get redundant. And so might as well just begin right now. Ezekiel 37, this is about the Valley of Dry Bones. And I hope that by the end of this podcast, you have a clearer picture of what this is talking about. Of course, you could go and seek out sermons on it. But I just wanted to provide an overview of this and also show how this is not teaching that a bunch of Christ-rejecting Jews are going to one day inhabit a nation that's been resurrected for them by the Satanic United Nations. That's false. That's a lie. Ezekiel 37 says in verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of dry bones. 
So this is a valley of dry bones, and we see that Ezekiel, who at this time is in the midst of the captivity of Judah, is taken up by the hand of the Lord, carried out in the spirit of the Lord via a miracle. In verse 2 it says, And caused me to pause to pass rather by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now you have to understand that when you read different passages of Scripture, oftentimes there's a dual fulfillment. I like to call it a layered fulfillment in the sense that there's a near future application and also an eschatological application or an end times application that you could take to several passages of Scripture. You look at Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, I think both of them respectively are referring to near future events that occur in the sense that you could certainly uh, conclude Antiochus Epiphanes and the kingdom of Grecia, which was split into four different kingdoms as well, Antiochus Epiphanes of the Seleucid Empire. I believe he is uh, one of the near future, I should say that you could make a near future application involving him as a, as a historical figure, and the same can be said for the Roman Empire as well and some of the uh, things that they did during the Roman-Jewish War. And so, just as sure as those scriptures point to historical events as a near future application, I do think also that when you're reading through uh, the Old Testament, that there are several passages that refer to the children of Israel coming back out of captivity at the end of the 70 years, and certainly there's an application to be made there. But here in Ezekiel chapter 37, although there's an argument to be made that, yes, some of this may point to that near future of the captivity, I also believe, though, that there is an end times element to this. And I do think that primarily what the Valley of Dry Bones is referring to would be the rapture. This is talking about the resurrection. And in the resurrection, it'll be the saints, it'll be those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who will take part in that resurrection. And there are several proofs, I think, that substantiate that this is talking about the rapture or the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that first resurrection. You say, well, what are those reasons? First of all, we see that there are bones that this is talking about, the valley of dry bones. Well, that would picture the sleeping saints who are in the ground. You see, when you die, your flesh goes into the ground. Flesh and blood does not inherit heaven. But your flesh, it goes into the ground. It's your soul, it's your spirit that's saved. Your flesh goes into the ground, but the good news is that one day, that flesh is going to be resurrected and you'll get a glorified body. And it'll be that glorified body that is sinless, whereas the flesh that we currently inhabit, the tabernacle that we inhabit today, has sin. It's the old man. It's the flesh. And the Bible says that the flesh and the spirit are in enmity one with another, which is why we're admonished to walk in the spirit, and then we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We also see that Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy unto the bones. He says, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now here's what's interesting about that. Ezekiel 
prophesies the word of the Lord, and then those bones are resurrected. So we see a resurrection coming as a result of the word of God. Well, the same thing is true for the rapture, which is a resurrection in the sense that we are going to be raptured. We will be resurrected. Our bodies, our flesh, will be, you know, there'll be a glorified body. But my point is our flesh can be resurrected as a result of the word of God, that being Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that is, of course, Jesus, and Jesus is referred to as the Word of God in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, as well. And we are going to be resurrected courtesy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, just as sure as these bones were resurrected courtesy of the Word of God that was uttered through Ezekiel. In verse 5 of Ezekiel 37, it says, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So it's God who's responsible for bringing breath to these bones. It's God who's responsible for these bones coming to life. In verse 7 it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Now here's another connection to the rapture, in the sense that in verse 7 it says that there was a noise and a shaking. Well at the rapture there will be both a noise and a shaking. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be, what? Shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one, end of, from one end of heaven to the other. So there's going to be the sound of a trumpet, a noise, and there's also going to be a shaking. We see this shaking also in Hebrews 12, where it says in verse 27, And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In Haggai chapter 2, it says in verse 22, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy, or I should say verse 21, my apologies, verse 21, it says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. So in Matthew 24, in Hebrews chapter 12, in Haggai chapter 2, we see a shaking there. And I believe that occurs at the rapture. Hebrews 12 and Haggai chapter 2 are talking about the same event. Of course, there's a near future application that I'm sure you could make to those passages as well. But ultimately, it is a reference to the rapture that God is going to, just like he did shake the earth during the time of Moses when he was atop the Mount of Sinai and receiving the law and the commandments, that there's going to be a shaking again coming when Jesus Christ returns for the second coming. He's going to shake not just the heaven but the earth as well. And I think that when we see that in Ezekiel chapter 37, it's further proof that we're pointing to the rapture here in this passage. In verse 8, the Bible reads, And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above. 
but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. So what we see here is a resurrection, but we also see that God is commanding Ezekiel to prophesy, and it's through that preaching that these bones live, and they're given life. They get skin, they get flesh, which I think pictures the glorified bodies that we'll receive when we're resurrected. But also, here's an aspect of this that I want you to pay attention to. Ezekiel is doing what the Lord says. Ezekiel is a prophet. Ezekiel is a messenger. Just as sure as when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to bring messengers with him, and it'll be his messengers or his angels that gather together his elect at the rapture. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 31, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So those angels gather together his elect. Those messengers of God have a part to play in that resurrection, just as sure as Ezekiel had a part to play in the Valley of Dry Bones, acting as a messenger of God. The rapture <clears throat> is going to be a glorious event. And the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Take these off. I don't necessarily need these earphones. God is going to bring those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with him. At the resurrection of the saints, those who are saved are going to be given glorified bodies. And for that reason, we shouldn't sorrow when saved people pass away like those who have no hope, but instead we should cling to the hope that we have in Christ. So if you're going through a tough time right now, if you've lost your job, if you've lost your friends, if you've lost your family because of the reputation that they have of you because of your faith, then understand that even though this life is full of struggles, there's no doubt about that, there's coming a day in which we will inhabit something a heck of a lot better with perfect sinless bodies. And for that reason, we should have hope for those who we lost in this life, who were saved, by the way. We have hope that one day we'll see them again because we share that same faith in Christ. One day we'll rise again, just like Jesus rose again the third day, which enabled us to one day rise again at the resurrection of the saints, which Ezekiel chapter 37 is speaking to. But here's my point. It doesn't matter who you are, and we'll get to this a little bit later on. Jew, Gentile, black, white, man, woman, you will take part in this resurrection if you've believed. And there are some people out there, and this applies to me myself at times, you read some of these passages of Scripture and you think to yourself, man, it would have been great to see the parting of the Red Sea. It would have been magnificent to see the children of Israel and those battles that they participated in to take over the promised land, removing the heathen nations out of it. 
It would have been amazing to see the rebuilding of Jerusalem following the 70 years of captivity in Nehemiah's day. It would have been amazing to see the ministry of Jesus Christ himself and the apostles, the persecution that the apostles went through, the day of Pentecost and the miracles. It would have been amazing to see all these wonderful events and miracles that took place in these stories that we know and love. But you know what? Even though we missed out on all that, we at least can read about it in the scriptures. But also, we have something amazing to look forward to ourselves, and it's the rapture itself. In Revelation chapter 20, the Bible reads in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection consists of those who have believed. And also, it also talks about those who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. These are people who've been decapitated because of their faith. And they were decapitated because they refused to take the mark of the beast. They refused to bow down to the image of the beast, the abomination of desolation, which will be set up at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. The Bible says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and, they shall, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Why would that person be blessed? Well, that individual would be blessed because this is the resurrection of the saints the second death doesn't have any power whatsoever on those who take part in this resurrection and i believe this is what uh, we're talking about here in ezekiel 37 the valley of dry bones verse 11 then said he unto me son of man these bones are the whole house of israel behold they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost we are cut off for our parts now this is the verse that the Zionists will rip straight out of context to try and teach their doctrine that a bunch of Christ-rejecting Jews are still the chosen people of God, despite the rejection of Christ, and that this passage is referring to the resurrected nation of Israel, which was brought in by the Satanic United Nations. It's a nation of Israel in which Christ-hating Jews bow down to idols, they bow down to a wall, pray to it. They look psychotic sitting there doing this the whole time, praying to a false god. They believe in a blasphemous book called the Talmud that says horrific things about Jesus, things I don't even want to repeat. They think this house of Israel that's being referred to here in Ezekiel 37 verse 11 is talking about them, but it's actually not. It has nothing to do with them whatsoever. This is talking about a house of Israel that'll be resurrected at the rapture consisting of those who are saved. That's the house of Israel it's talking about. It's talking about the remnant. It's talking about the spiritual seed. The spiritual seed consisting of physical Jew, physical Gentile, man, woman, doesn't matter who it is. If they believed on Christ, they are that spiritual seed verse 12 says therefore prophesy and say unto them thus saith the lord god behold O my people i will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of israel 
They're going to come up out of the graves and they're going to go into the land of Israel. Why? Because after the rapture, when God finishes pouring out his wrath on this earth for three and a half years, Jesus is going to set up his millennial kingdom. He's going to set up his millennial reign. And who are those who will reign with Jesus Christ during that time? It'll be the saved. It'll be the spiritual Israel. The house of Israel, yes, will be resurrected. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew 19, 28. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Of course the house of Israel is going to be resurrected, or else that scripture doesn't even make any sense. But who specifically will take part in that? It'll be those who are saved. There have been Jews who have gotten saved. There have been Gentiles who have gotten saved. And those are going to be the individuals who take part in this regeneration. Romans 9 verse 6 says, Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all, the ch are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So there's a subset of Israel that is the true Israel, and it's those who are saved. It's the children of promise who are counted for the seed. The question is, who are the children of promise? Well, Galatians 6, 16, or I'm sorry, Galatians 4, 28 rather, says, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And who's the we there? It's not a Jew audience. Jew, it's Paul, okay, but who's he talking to? He's talking to a Gentile audience. It's not a Jew audience, he's talking to a Gentile audience in Galatia. Romans 2 says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, and the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Who are the true Jews? Those who have been circumcised spiritually. Those are the true Jews. That's what that physical circumcision was talking about. And if you've believed on Christ, you have that spiritual circumcision. You are a true Jew. The fake Jews are the ones who reject Christ. The Bible says, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. The house of Israel that's resurrected is also referred to in Romans chapter 11, where it says in verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, the Shalkano of Zion to deliver and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Who is that all Israel? Well, it's that spiritual seed, and it's a spiritual seed that you see throughout Scripture. And here's an example of a reference to this spiritual seed. In Isaiah 45, it says in verse 25, In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. All the seed of Israel shall be justified and shall glory, according to Isaiah 45, Verse 25, that seed is the spiritual seed. It's the Israel of God. Galatians 6, 16 said, As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. All Israel, the all Israel that will be saved, according to Romans eleven twenty six, is that Israel of God. It's the same all Israel described in Romans chapter 9, which says that they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. It's as simple as that. That's the house of Israel we're talking about in Ezekiel 37. It has nothing to do with a bunch of Christ-hating, Christ-rejecting Jews who hate the gospel, who hate the word of God, who don't even believe it. You say, oh, they believe in Moses. No, if they had believed in Moses, they would have believed in Christ. 
because Moses spoke of Christ. Abraham spoke of Christ. David spoke of Christ. The prophets spoke of Christ. The whole Bible points to Christ. Acts chapter 10, it says in verse 43, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. You can put that in your dispensational pipe and smoke it. Now you say, well, hold on a minute. It sounds like you're spiritualizing this house of Israel. Yeah, because guess what? In the New Testament, haven't you noticed that things tend to get spiritualized? I mean, think about this. Under the Old Covenant, you had a physical priesthood that was after the order of Aaron, after the order of Aaron whereas under the New Covenant... We are part of a spiritual priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Old covenant, physical Israel. New covenant, spiritual Israel. Old covenant, physical circumcision. New covenant, spiritual circumcision. The list goes on and on, folks. Old covenant, physical sacrifices. New covenant, spiritual sacrifices. Do I have to keep going? Physical tabernacle, spiritual tabernacle, or figurative tabernacle. Folks, there are so many types, so many figures, so many carnal truths in the Old Testament that point to spiritual truths. How about, how about the Sabbath day and the feast days that you can read about, the feast days specifically in Leviticus chapter 23? What do you think those are really pointing to? Spiritual truths concerning Jesus. And so just as sure as those carnal Things point to spiritual things, so I guess they're being spiritualized, aren't they? We can see that this house of Israel is a spiritual house of Israel consisting of those who believed on Christ. The all Israel. Ezekiel 37 says in verse 13, And ye shall know that I am the Lord, and I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So now it's talking about how God is going to put his spirit in these people. What is this talking about? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, folks. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is a component of the new covenant. And this is described in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. I was talking about how under the old covenant, when I should say when you compare the old covenant to the new covenant, you see a pattern of that which is physical, picturing that which is spiritual. Well, guess what? The Old Testament was written on tables, on tablets, the Ten Commandments, and then placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the New Testament, God's law is written in our hearts, courtesy of the Holy Spirit. And it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's being referenced in Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 37, in Hebrews chapter 10, in Hebrews chapter 8. We see that same thing as well, but in Hebrews 10 it says, Whereof the Holy Ghost also was a witness to us, for after that he had said before that this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and their iniquities, and their sins and iniquities, rather, will I remember no more. That's Hebrews 10, verses 15 
through 17. That's the spirit that indwells those who believe. Let's go back to Ezekiel 37, verse 15, where it says, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel as companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom of Israel, and for all the house of Israel as companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. Now again, people will look at that, the Zionists, and they say, See, look, this clearly was fulfilled when the Jews came back into their land thanks to the United Nations and the nation of Israel right now. Bless God. If you bless Israel, then God's going to bless you. False. The Abrahamic covenant wasn't fulfilled in that land in the Middle East right now, okay, which is a safe haven for pedophiles. You can look that up if you don't believe me. That's not the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, and that's not the fulfillment of what's going on here in Ezekiel chapter 37. These two sticks, yes, they do typify both the northern and southern kingdom, Ephraim, Joseph, Israel, and Judah. The northern kingdom is referred to in Scripture as either Ephraim, Joseph, or Israel, in case you were wondering where that came from. But here's my point. There's no King Rehoboam and King Jeroboam anymore. Or was Jeroboam, Rehoboam? Sorry about that. Folks, there's no split in this nation of Israel anymore when Jesus Christ rules and reigns from the millennium and we're brought into that land that was promised unto Abraham and his seed. It's not going to be split. It's going to be a unified nation that truly will be under God, unlike the United States today, which claims to be under God, but in reality is under Satan and continues to get more wicked by the day. This millennium will feature a unified nation. The spiritual nation of Israel will get to inhabit a physical land, and it's going to be a marvelous thing to behold. So like I said, yeah, we missed a lot of cool events that have occurred throughout history and in scripture but you know what we still have a lot more left to see verse 18 it says and when the children of my of thy people shall speak unto thee saying wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by thee say unto them thus saith the lord god behold i will take the stick of joseph which is in the hand of ephraim and the tribes of israel as fellows and will put them with him even with the stick of judah and make them one stick and they shall be one in my hand like i said this will be a unified nation there won't be King Jeroboam, King Rehoboam, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom anymore. It'll be unified, one nation, under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ during the millennium. And then after that, New Jerusalem on the new heaven and new earth continues on forever under the direct authority of God. Verse number 20, And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their land, into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And, they, and so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. Now let's dissect this for a moment here. 
it says that they will no longer defile themselves with their idols. The nation of Israel today is full of idols. That wall that the Jews bow down to and pray to is an idol in and of itself. So this can't be talking about that. Also, it says they're going to have one king. Well, who is that king? It's referred to as David here in verse 24, and we'll read it in a few moments. But it's Jesus. Jesus is that king. That one king is Jesus Christ. It says, they shall be my people, and I will be their God. What a beautiful statement there. And I'll have more on that a little bit later on, but we see that same verbiage in Revelation chapter 21 concerning those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are his people. Those are the chosen people, not those who've rejected the gospel. Verse 24, it says, And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Again, that doesn't sound like the Jews today. That doesn't sound like the nation of Israel today. David, my servant, shall be king over them is a reference to Christ. Jesus isn't reigning from over there right now in the Middle East. But it will happen during the millennium when he comes back for the battle of Armageddon and sets up his kingdom. But we see that David figures Jesus. If you read Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 18, Psalm 69, and others, David is speaking there, but it's clearly referring to Christ himself. He's speaking about Jesus himself and events that transpired during his life. Dual fulfillment. We see that the coming Messiah in the Old Testament is often referred to as David in Hosea 3, 5. We see an example of this. It says, Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. We see this again in Jeremiah 30, verse 9. It says, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. And I believe David, at times in Scripture, that that name David is a reference to the coming Messiah. He was a coming Messiah at that time. And David is used to point to Christ. And it's, he's also, you know, we see that name also used to point to Christ here in Ezekiel 37, verse 24. Let's read verse 25. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince, notice this, forever. Now again, the promise that was made to Abraham and, Abraham and his seed, I do believe, yeah, involved land, but it wasn't the land that the nation of Israel eventually inhabited. That wasn't the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. The ultimate fulfillment of that promise comes during the millennium. And it says that David shall be their prince forever. There will be no end. Doesn't that sound familiar to what you can find here in Isaiah chapter 9? Let's go there. Isaiah chapter 9, it says in verse number 6, or I'm sorry, Isaiah, I went to the wrong place. In my actual Bible, I said the right reference, but I went to Isaiah chapter 6 in my Bible for whatever reason. Isaiah 9, it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So here's what, here's what you have to notice. It says the Everlasting Father, which in Genesis chapter 45 is used interchangeably with ruler. So father can mean ruler, and I believe that's what it's talking about here in this verse. Then it says the prince of peace. 
David is referred to as a prince talking about Jesus who rules forever. Well, here, Isaiah 9, 6, it's talking about a prince, the prince of peace. And let's see how long he's going to rule for. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. How could you deny that we're talking about end times events here? That we're talking about the millennial reign here? We're talking about the rapture and the beginning of the millennium. The connection is just so clear. Let's look at Ezekiel 37, 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. God's presence, starting at the 1,000-year reign of Christ, will be in the midst of Israel, of Jerusalem, forever. It'll continue on through the new heaven and through the new earth. He says, my tabernacle shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem at the new heaven and new earth. God the Father will actually be present in New Jerusalem. All three persons of the Trinity will be on that new earth. It's going to be an amazing time. No more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin. And we will have an opportunity to worship Christ into eternity. To worship God into eternity. But notice the verbiage here. It says, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Not Christ rejecting Jews, but those who believe. Revelation 21 says the same thing in verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Now listen to this. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, refers to a tabernacle that will be in the midst of them. A tabernacle that remains forever. Revelation chapter 21 also says that God himself shall be with them. God's presence will be with them. That those who are saved will be his people and God himself will be their God. It's an amazing truth. And there's just no way that you can see Zionism in these scriptures. It boggles my mind that Ezekiel chapter 37 is one of the go-to passages for those of the Jews are God's chosen people persuasion. I think that this podcast hopefully totally debunked that. Because the reality is, no matter what your genealogy is, and the Bible tells us to avoid those anyway, if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you are God's child. You are the true chosen people of God. Ephesians 2, it says in verse 19, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You are of the household of God. You are of that spiritual, excuse me, that spiritual remnant, the spiritual seed, the house of Israel that's going to be brought back to life. We read about that here in Ezekiel chapter 37. You are part of a holy nation, folks. 
First Peter chapter 2 says in verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're part of that spiritual nation if you believe on Christ. And just as sure as it was the responsibility of that physical nation to be a light unto the Gentiles, let's make sure that we as the spiritual nation are a light unto the heathen, figuratively, meaning those who haven't believed the gospel. Let's be a light unto them. Let's walk as children of light. Let's do good works so that they see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And let's go out and let's make sure that we present the gospel to them and get saved. This spiritual nation, it consists of a great multitude of people. The Bible says in Revelation 7 verse 9, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues. And they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. That right there could also be a fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles, potentially what the Feast of Tabernacles was pointing to. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 23. But here's the point. Ezekiel 37, I think, is pointing to the rapture. It's also pointing to the coming millennium of Christ. It uses the name of David to refer to the Messiah. And I think that this overview of the chapter totally dismantled the false doctrine of Zionism and showed you exactly what this is actually talking about and what the message is is that God is articulating here in this chapter. Obviously, you can seek out a sermon on this if you'd like some more detail, but my hope for this podcast was to give you an overview of Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, an amazing story, and one with so many lessons that we could take for us as New Testament Bible-believing Christians. But folks, that's it for the broadcast tonight. I'm actually going to go ahead and wrap it up. This was, like I said at the beginning of the show, actually the second time I recorded this because of the fact that the first time there were such horrific technical issues with my mic that it really was unusable footage. But hey, you know what? The more the merrier, right? I'll be back again next Monday. 8 p.m. Central Time is when the show goes on the air, 9 p.m. Eastern, so make sure you join me for that. It's always a pleasure to record this show. I really enjoy it. And if you'd like to check out the archive of the broadcast, just head over to BenTheBaptistKJV.com. That's BenTheBaptistKJV.com. And every episode of this broadcast that's ever been recorded is right there. You can download the show if you'd like or just stream it. God bless you. Thanks for your continued support. Make sure you hit the like button comment, subscribe, share this with your friends and family, and let's clear up the confusion on Ezekiel 37 and other doctrines together by sharing content that adheres to the Word of God and not the wisdom of men. Folks, as I always say, I will talk to you guys again after a while.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.